You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We continue in Colossians. We've been uh, going through this series, and today I'm, I'm excited. Man, we had a great time of passion last night and Friday night, and it's actually going on right now. Right now, passion is still going. We left early. That's how much we love you. We left early uh, so that we could be here to this morning. Uh, I feel like this word for today is is necessary and needed, and I believe in, in God's word. We've been talking about roots and how roots give a tree nourishment and health and strength and depth. And, uh, and when the storms come, if it's got good roots, then it will hold ground. But a tree that even looks good on the outside, if its roots are soft and weak and shallow, then uh, it doesn't even take a big storm and the tree's down. So hopefully we are going to use Colossians. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is uh, is getting rooted. They're a young church. They're a baby church. They're a little church. They meet in a house. There's, there's, there's not very many of them. They're in a small town called Colossae, which is uh, the smallest of a tri-city area. It's a struggling town. In fact, within a generation of this letter, that town didn't exist anymore because an earthquake hit the area, and it was so such a small town, they just deserted it. So it didn't even exist anymore. There's just ruins. Uh, but at the time, it was a small church, and uh, they were, there was some confusion stirring up inside of this young believer church. And their pastor, Epaphras, made the long journey from Colossae to the big city of Rome, where the Apostle Paul was in house arrest. He was in prison under house arrest. And uh, he basically went all the way there to say, Paul, I need your help. Our church is confused about a few areas. And could you... Could you just inspire us and challenge us. And he sent back two letters uh, with a particular guy. And uh, we did his uh, series last week. His name was, I mean, uh, last year, his name was Onesimus. And the second book that he wrote at the same time was Philemon. So they actually go together. They're, they're a book that talks about each other, mentions each other. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that later on. And uh, Colossians, uh, Colossians, it sounds like a throat lozenger. Um, can I have a Colossians, please? Um, Colossians broken up into two parts. The first half, the first two chapters, is our root system. The second two chapters is our fruit system. So uh, Paul says, he starts off saying, thank you guys, man, I love you. I'm glad you're living for Jesus the best you know how. I'm praying for you. Hang on to Jesus. And he says, everything I do is for this purpose right now, that you might be mature. He says this in Colossians 2.1, where we're going to pick it up today. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. He says, my goal, the plan uh, is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, my goal is that you would mature, that you would grow up, that you would, that you would get a sense of spiritual maturity. And I want you to, want you to write this down. We're going to lay a framework before we get into this second chapter of Colossians. I want you to write this down. Spirituality, a different perspective, is that spirituality, uh, spirituality a mature Christian, is based on character and obedience to Scripture. When you think of what a mature Christian should look like or what a mature follower of Christ should look like, it is someone who has 
a godly character based on Scripture and someone who walks and obeys Scripture. But this is important. It's not based on our adherence to man-made rules and traditions. What he's about to lay into is that it's important that we understand the difference between God-ordained commands and man-made regulations. He says, because there's, there's a, a line that is clear in, in God's word and, and, in, and in the cross. However, there are some people that have neglected his commands, his clear commands, and, and there's a place to admonish those people. He says, but there's a whole group of people that have, have basically added to God's word rules and regulations. Um, there are clear instructions. Now, today, when we talk about like legalism and walking in freedom, I'm not talking about that we are free from God's ordained commandments. Uh, there are clear black and white challenges in God's word for our character and our life that are laid out. However, there's a problem when we, as people who in, in good intentions, add to God's word. Um, and, you know, it's like the uh, extra, uh, but less, it's less filling. And, and but there's, there's more, but, there's, but it's just not filling. There's a lot of people, man-made things, added rules, we... we when we live in them, we tend to confuse who we are and what's really God and what's really His Word. I want you to write this down. It's sometimes adding just a little extra makes things worse. Um, don't confuse the tools of spirituality with the rules of spirituality. Um, who knows what this is? If you can read, you know what this is. Thank you, Armor All. This is Armor All. Now, when I got my first car which um, probably, I was about to say it was in bad shape, but it probably was better than my current car. Um, if you've ever seen my, my, my tomato, my Jeep. Um, <clears throat> if it was yellow, it'd be a lemon. Armor all. I loved armor all for my car. I had a 76 Chevy Nova with the 350 in and it was, uh, I loved it. And, uh, and man, the inside had all this Naga hide seats, you know. <laughs> Remember Naga Hide? It's basically imitation leather. And, uh, man, the dash, man, I remember taking armor all to, man, to my seats. You know, you get in the car, whoo, you know, you, you slide right. You go to, that was back in the day when there were bench seats, you know, where the whole front seat was like one giant seat, you know, and you'd slide in, and you're like in the middle of the of the bench. And, or you'd sit and you're sliding down and, I don't, man, I like you, you armor all the dash, man. It's like glistening, you know, it's the sunshine in Texas, yeah. And I had a tendency to armor all the handlebar too, right? And you, you're like, you, it's it's slick, really slick. When you, so I love to armor all because it makes junky stuff look shiny, doesn't it? It makes junky stuff look new and fresh. And uh, armor all is great until you kind of like think that somehow you can improve on armor all's, you know, uh, directions by, you know, if a little bit is good, then a lot is going to be really good, right? Because the problem with armor all's, once you start using it and you add more than what it says to add, then it loses its gloss faster. And guess what happens after that? If you don't keep using it. It dries up and cracks. 
So, like, if you have some of these old cars, they have, like, like my, my Jeep has, like, a little crack in it. And I'm and uh, it's not for me. I didn't over-armor all that, I promise. But that's kind of what it would do. You'd armor all it and wipe it, and you just put more on it, wipe it, and you put more on it, and wipe it, you put more on it. And before you know, you've, you're addicted to this armor all. And, boy, you know, just between you and me, the original armor all, I thought it smelled like, like throw up. It was, like, a terrible smell. The new armor all has kind of this, like, cool smell i guess you could call it a cool smell but i remember putting so much of it in my car thinking oh it smells so terrible in here but boy it looks so good it looks so shiny for about a week and then i have to you know the more i put on i just put more and more of that coating that dried it out and cracked it and you know it's the same in our spiritual life um we whenever we add extra to god's word when we add extra more and more to what god has told us clearly to do when we add more what happens is we look good and we get all shiny but uh and on the outside everybody might think that we are nice but in the side we're pretty junky still but what happens is it looks good on the outside but eventually it will spiritually crack our dashboard of our life and i want to talk about some of those additives that we often try to add to God's word. Uh, Proverbs 35, 30, verse 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is flawless. Everybody say flawless. It means it doesn't need your help. It doesn't need your addition. It doesn't need you to add to it. It is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He says, Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. We do this all the time. God's word gives us clear guidelines, but we like to add to them somehow thinking that it's going to be better than what God had intended. We're just good intentions. We add to God's word. Um, I don't know if any of you guys remember Lost in Space. Anybody who's, anybody watched Lost in Space? Yeah. Lost in Space was one of those like, kid addictions of mine. Uh, I loved Lost in Space, and uh, it was like the early days of television sci-fi, and um, I mean, it was a TV show, and it was a family that was, it was basically Gilligan's Isle in space. There was like a, a family, they were lost in the galaxy, a family, and there was a stowaway, and um, and they had this robot, and uh, this robot was super sweet. In fact, I had a a robot, uh, that robot, um, I think it was K-9 or something, was there? No, no, it was, it was K-12, wasn't it? K- oh, you would know for sure. Uh, she would, for real. I forget, maybe it was just robot, I don't remember. Uh, but this robot uh, was about this tall, and he played the sounds that were in the movie, or in the TV show. And uh, it was this was such a transitional series that it started off the seasons in black and white, and ended the seasons in color. We're talking like, yeah, man, this is pretty cool. You know, it's like so. The early episodes are black and white. The later ones are in color. You got to see these kids grow up. But the robot was the star of the show. The robot was like the dude, and every time he was like, he and Will, real Robinson, the boy, was like they were like best friends. And he was like, robot this, robot that, and they went everywhere. And whenever something happened, the robot would his arms would flap and go, warning, war- danger, danger, warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. That's the boy. 
And he would say, does not compute, does not compute. He'd say, I cannot accept this course of action. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. And uh, so I had this little toy that when you pulled it or pushed the buttons, it would say, danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. And I loved that toy. And I thought, man, it'd be awesome to have your own little personal robot that was looking out for you all the time. And everywhere you went, it's like, danger, Ted Blair, danger, 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 Ted Blair. And I thought, man, having my own robot would be cool. But, you know, we have God's word. It's a little better than the robot. And the Apostle Paul is saying today, danger, Will Robinson, danger to five dangerous additives that poison a root system. So we're going to talk about five spiritual additives to our faith that poison a root system. Five things that still happen today that they were dealing with then. So let's take a look at them. Colossians chapter 2, verse Four, here we go. He says, I tell you this. He says, I'm telling you, I want you to be mature. I'm challenging you. I'm telling you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. The first thing is this. The first additive is false teachings and arguments. Arguments that just seem to make sense, but are not grounded in the truth of God's word. He says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and affirm your faith in Christ. He says, I'm challenging you, even though I can't be there to go, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger. I'm challenging you to stand firm and don't let anyone lead you astray or add to God's word and deceive you by fine sounding arguments. This false teaching. He says, even though I'm not there, stand strong. Don't be tricked uh, by, by fine sounding, you know, what seems like reason and opinions and teaching. He, empty arguments. I have a, 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 a comment here. It's like, you know, the scriptures begin with the, with the acceptance that there is such a thing as truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth in the life. If you believe in truth, then you believe in false, right? So a lot of people, they don't want to accept that there is truth, but they believe there are things that are false, or you have people that that have their opinions on what is false, but they don't engage in what is the truth. And I want to challenge you something The Bible declares itself true. Jesus is a living historical person. He lived, he died, the tomb is empty. His words, he declares are truth. His miracles were testimony. His resurrection was a declaration of this. But there is a measure of faith that all of us, everyone in the universe, has to acknowledge truth by faith, right? Because there's the, the fact of the historicity of Christ and his words are, are well documented. The New Testament as a, as a document is reliable 100% as probably one of the most historical ancient documents we have in existence. However, to believe its words as truth, that's where the measure of faith comes in. But if there is truth, then there is false. And if there is right, then there is wrong. And what we need to decide is who's going to decide for us what truth is. Who's going to decide for us what is false? And the Apostle Paul says, well, God's word is the truth. 
So if, if there is a truth, then there are some people that are wrong. And this is the challenge for Christianity, is that we do not think that everybody is okay. Everybody is not all right. Everybody does not have the answer. There is a right and a wrong. There is a truth and a false. And the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived by arguments that sound like reason. He said, you know, like atheism, it seems to have a lot of fine-sounding arguments or agnosticism or humanism or universalism or inclusivism that either explain away the Word of God through fine-sounding arguments or, or they just ignore it as not truth at all. He says, don't be deceived by those fine-sounding false teaching arguments. He says, verse 6, So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Everybody say, as you were taught. As you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You know, a lot of times uh, we were taught something and we receive it by faith. And then all of a sudden we hear somebody else that seems to make a pretty good argument against that faith, right? And and I always tell people, if you're if you're genuinely searching for the truth, you will find Jesus. If you are like with all that you have, like with, with sincerity, genuinely searching for the answer, you will find it because Jesus, the word of God, it holds up to any scrutiny at all. But there are those that they're not looking for truth. They're looking for excuses. So they will come up with these fine sounding arguments to tear it apart. And it will challenge what you have been taught. He says, man, hold on to the faith as you were taught. Stay grounded. And he says, overflowing with thankfulness. You know, always be thankful. Don't let negativity lead you to stray from the truth because it results in confusion. I know a lot of people, they get negative, they get angry. Things in life begin to fall apart. Uh, Sickness or disaster or tragedy or just a loss of a job or something. All of a sudden negativity and and, uh, unthankfulness and and they get angry. They're They're not appreciative of who God is. And all of a sudden they start to question the foundation of everything they've been taught. And he says, you know what? A key to staying strong in the truth is to be thankful and grateful. Don't let negativity lead you to confusion. 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says that Satan, uh, verse 14 and 15, he says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising that false teachers also come in doing righteous deeds. There's a sense that uh, we need to know the truth before deception comes. Because deception doesn't go, hey, hey, I'm lying to you. Deception on the way in, everybody. Hey, before I start my message today, I want you to know that it's all a lie that it's all deception. There is not an announcement of deception. It comes at you. And the Apostle Paul says, you need to be ready before deception comes because otherwise you'll be sucked into the lies of that deception. And there are good people who are deceived. And there are good people who peddle deception. And there are good people who do good deeds and do righteous things, the Apostle Paul said, who are peddlers of deception. And some, I think, are deceived by their own deception themselves. They think they are right. But again, if there is truth, then there is false. And we should never be worried or ashamed to say something is true and something is false. 
The Apostle Paul says, don't add to the word of God. Don't let people deceive you into a false teaching or a fine sounding argument. Next thing he says this, here's another thing, another danger. Another thing that we add to God's word of spiritual additive is futile philosophies and traditions. He says in Colossians 2, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. The word there is cheat or lead you as a prey away to devour, P-R-E-Y. He says, don't let anybody take you away to devour you, to ruin you. He says, see it to that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, the word philosophy there means vain speculation. This is an arrogant intelligence, right? A false intelligence, arrogance that says, you're dumb, I'm smart. He says, don't allow people to lead you through uh, to uh, through deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. That means man-made systems and the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That means man-made logic, he says, rather than on Christ. He says, there are people that try to say, well, this is the way it's always been, or this is how culture rolls. This is basically when people say, um, this is basically buying into religion rather than a relationship with Christ. It is a is buying into tradition as a substitute for true faith. You know, verse eight he says, he says, calls them hollow. That means they don't deliver what they promise. He says, not only do they not deliver, he says they'll cheat you of your growth. Guys, listen, there there are people that buy into church, that buy into the philosophy of love one another and treat your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There there are people that buy into the whole Christianity as a religion and they do the system. They do the they know the songs, they they know the liturgy, the the prayers, they read the books, and but there's no true life change. It's all philosophy and man-made reasoning. And there's a sense that even in Matthew 15, 9, Jesus said, Be warned that there are people who will teach tradition as if it's doctrine. Uh, here's an example. The, if, if you're familiar with the Russian Orthodox Church, which is uh, the, the largest of the Orthodox Church movement, they actually, uh, about a century ago, had a debate over to use three or two fingers when doing the sign of the cross. And it was a major, almost a schism in, in the Orthodox Church over, should we use three fingers or two fingers? And it almost split the church. And we're thinking, well, that's dumb. The dumb things that some Christian, well, we do the same. Uh, we might go, well, that church doesn't have a cross on the building. That church doesn't have a cross in the building. That church doesn't have a building. Or they might go, too many crosses. We're a hip, cool church. This, man, that's just going to chase away people. Or it's too casual. And the church, man, we're way disrespectful. That's way too casual. A hat on church? Come on. Well, that You know, sometimes Chris will wear a hat and Sean will come in and be just a hat? You know, it's, it's summertime. It gets hot in Texas. And Chris will wear flip-flops. And there are people going, I'm sure, oh, flip-flops. Oh, God, please show up anyways. I had, we had a guy in our church who, who liked to go barefoot when he played the guitar. And, uh, and he used to go barefoot. And we used to go, people, that's just wrong. You should keep, that's just, that's just gross. I'm like, you should tell Moses that at the burning bush because 
God told him to kick his shoes off too because he was on the holy ground. So apparently Jesus is not doesn't have like a foot phobia or anything. Said, well, you know, flip-flops are wrong or it's too dressed, too dressed up. Man, it's just too, man, too stiff in here. You know, too old. Man, there's too many old people in here. There's too many young people in here. Shorts? Come on now. This is church. Too many lights. God doesn't like all the lights. Uh, not enough lights. Thank you. <laughs> Good timing. So too many lights. Uh, somebody got a man in. You know, there's lasers and stuff. Oh, God, God is not hot like these lasers. We could feed the poor with those lasers, you know. And then someone like, look, oh, tattoos. Too many tattoos. Cover his arm up. You can't love God and have tattoos, at least not that one. And that one, that one looks like a dragon. We all know dragons mean the devil. Really? So an alligator is the devil and stuff like that? But two, and then some, I know some of that's not enough tattoos. This is not a cool hip, you know, hipster church. Um, it's too loud, you know. It's, well, it's not enough hymns. I've, people say, you know, I wish we did more hymns. I've actually been in churches where people said, there's too many hymns. Um, <laughs> if, depending on what culture your church you have, there you go into some churches and it's big hat church. You know, and the, hat, the bigger the hat, the greater the glory, right? God is lifted up with, the, you know, and, and and then some churches, it's not the hat, it's the hair. And the taller the hat, the taller the bun, the closer to heaven, you know? It's like they're trying to reach as close to heaven as they can. If it reaches above their hands, they are really spiritual. And there's a sense that we all have our traditions, but they're not God's word. We all have our opinions and our preferences we all have our view of church. You know, if we talk about the flip-flop thing, in India, the entire church, it's pretty normal for Indian churches to go completely barefoot. You walk in the building, you flip your church off, your shoes off because you are on holy ground and they worship like they are in the very midst of heaven, barefoot and dirty feet at that. It's a cultural view of worship. They're all ceremonial Christian views. By the way, you can have perfect ceremony and still have a heart that is fully messed up. It may look shiny, but it's junky and it's about to crack if you keep layering on this additive. Paul's response to this in verse 9, he says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You don't need to add anything else to Jesus, all of the fullness, everything about God is found in Christ. He says, in Christ, I like this, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Not only is Christ the fullness of God, but in Christ is the fullness of everything you need to know God. He is the head over every power. And authority. That means you are complete in him. He is not the boss, not a culture, not a church tradition, not a system or a view or an opinion. Or There's nothing wrong with cultural traditions until they become doctrine, until they become the way that they say you must worship and connect. Because what you're doing is you're becoming a Pharisee and you don't even realize it. And you're adding to God's word, just like Paul said, be 
careful. It is an additive that will crack your spiritual dashboard. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Peter says this. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge in him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. God has given us everything we need by our knowledge in Christ. Not by how many hoops, how long the hair, how tall the bun, how crisp the collar, you know, how hip, how cool, or how unhip, or how cool, how traditional, how old the songs are, how new the songs are. You know, we have some friends who have some churches, and and, uh, we grew up with them, and we'll, we'll go to their church service. It's hard not to, and... We'll look at the music, and their music is like, man, we're, they're singing songs like, out of like eight, 1985, 1987. And my heart just cringes a little bit. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, it's so terrible. And then God immediately says, how dare you? You know, how dare you? If they're worshiping me, how dare you? And I'm, man, conviction. Because I find myself, I'm adding to how God only talks and speaks through contemporary, cool, hip, current songs. And with the, man, God will show up with that certain guitar lick. I know it. When that guitar lick is played, heaven falls down, right? And when there's not just, you know, sometimes, you know, Tiny will play the full kit and sometimes he'll play the, like the, the acoustic kit. And I'm like, oh man, God's not going to show up as much with the acoustic kick. I just, I'm just going to have to press through a little bit harder today. I'm like, come on, man. God's like, how dare you? How dare you? Because we are adding our tradition, our opinion. Um, the third thing he says this is another spiritual additive is fruitless rituals of religion, trying to measure up to others. Because when you come into church, you meet Jesus. Man, Jesus is all that you need and all that you have to have. And then all of a sudden you look over at Joe and he's like, man, yeah, I mean, I got to worship like that because he looks really spiritual and I've got to do what he does and I've got to dress like he does and I've got to act like he does. And then all of a sudden that guy who's like, yes, yeah, that's right. If you want to be as close to God as me, those are what are known as fruitless rituals of tradition. It says in verse 11, he says, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Circumcision is, is, a, is not something I'm going to explain today. Uh, I have explained it before. I don't think it's necessary if you're not sure what it is. Uh, pull out your data phone real fast and Google it and then put it back. Okay. He says, Paul is speaking to a brand new group of Greek followers that did not grow up in, a, in the Jewish tradition. All of the Greeks were uncircumcised. All of them. So Paul comes in and says, all you need is Jesus. They become followers of Christ. They turn from their sin and turn to Christ and they become followers. And then all of a sudden, after Paul comes this group of Jewish Christians. They're called Judaizers. And they would show up in town after Paul and say, it's good that you met Jesus, but to be a real Christian, you got to do the Jewish stuff. You got to get circumcised. And like, what? I'm like 50. I don't know about that. <laughs> and and you've got to follow the holidays and you've got to have this certain dinner and you can't eat these certain kinds of foods and you can't go to these certain kind of things. And, and all of a sudden, Paul is speaking to these new Greek followers who are told that they must follow these Jewish traditions in order to be saved. This was a real concern in the first century. Uh, in fact, almost the 
uh, the majority of Paul's New Testament letters were addressing this issue at one point in every one of those letters. So circumcision pops up in a lot of those letters. You're like, why is it always talking about? Because that was a Jewish tradition that meant you were right with God. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, I fulfilled that circumcision, so you don't need circumcision anymore. I'm all you need. But the Jewish guy said, no, you still need to get it. And all of a sudden, verse 12, he says, well, having been buried with him, with Jesus, in baptism, into which you were also raised with him through your faith in working of God who raised him from the dead. He says, you know what? When you said yes to Jesus and you got baptized, that was enough. Baptism was not what saved you. Your faith and declaration in Christ is what saved you. But baptism told the world, you get it. You know, we have baptism. Some of you have not been baptized. It's time because that's the way you tell the world, I get it. It's not how you are saved, but it declares to the world that you are saved and that you are by faith declaring, I get it. And he says, you know what? You were buried with him and you were raised with him. He says, man, don't let anyone tell you you need anything more than Jesus. Verse 13, he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, when you were dead, God made you alive. In Christ, he forgave us of all our sins. Guys, listen, apart from Jesus, you are DOA. You are dead on arrival. Apart from Christ, you are dead in your sin right now. If you are not a follower of Christ, and I can't assume that everyone in this room is, if you are not a follower, you are DOA. You're dead on arrival. But when you're dead in Christ, when you meet Jesus, all of a sudden you're buried with him and raised in him, and he makes you a living spirit. He takes a dead man and makes him alive. It says he forgave us all. If I say all, all our sins, all of them, all of them. When you were dead, God made you alive. God made you alive. Not you, not your efforts, not your church attendance, not your self-discipline and self-determination and self-commitment. God made you alive. In Christ, you are right now forgiven if you are in Christ. Received by faith. Verse 14, he says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. um, He says, the Old Testament, it only condemns. It only reveals our need for God. It only reveals and condemns how bad we are. It does not say, you, you, nobody can live the Ten Commandments. We've all failed. He says, but he has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Mm, that is, that's a powerful, he has canceled the charge and nailed it to the cross. If you're a songwriter, that's a song. If you're a poet, that's a poem. I mean, that is, he canceled the charge. He took it away. He nailed it to the cross, having disarmed, like confused, thrown back, amazed, startled. He says, you He disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He says, everyone in the spirit realm and all the authorities that were responsible for putting Christ on the cross, they were, what? On the third day, 
They were shocked, disarmed. He triumphed over them by the cross. He forgave us and he canceled the charge. He uses uh, money terms here. Forgave us means uh, there's this sense of debt. that Every time we sin, it's a debt against the Lord. It's a debt we cannot pay. It's a debt. It's, it's an overdraft. And every, every time we sin more, the, the fee just gets worse and worse. We cannot pay back the debt of our sin. But he says, he, however, forgave the debt. He canceled the charge. And he nailed it. He posted it on the cross. It's like a sign that says, it's over. It's done. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, when he was nailed to the cross, he declared, it is finished, which means paid in full. And we receive it by faith. Jesus is everything. Jesus told us how we receive this, and that is by following him. Verse 16, he says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you. Since this is, since you are free, if you are a Christian, you are free. Your sins are forgiven. They've been nailed to the cross. You were dead. You were DOA, but now you are alive in Christ. He says, don't let anybody judge you. So therefore, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. He says, uh, he says, they're just a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He says, all those traditions and, and, and limitations and rituals and all those things in the Old Testament, they were just a shadow of something greater. He says, and that greater is Jesus. See, judgments by others are pointless. You know, some people, they still do this today. Uh, Christians who impose, like, you know, you could go online and right now find a whole bunch of websites on how a Christian should eat based on Old Testament dietary laws. Um, or how there's entire church groups that say, Sabbath, man, you, if, you don't, if you don't go to church on Saturday, then you are missing God, and you're actually in sin. There's some denominations that are all about that. Uh, there are some Christians, they're called, I don't want to say it. Um, <laughs> uh, there are some that insist on doing the Passover. Um, uh, and then, but there's the flip side too. There are some that say, you know what? Um, Christmas is great as long as you don't put a Santa in your yard. Uh, and you know what? Trick-or-treating, that's of the devil. So I better not see your kids in a costume going door to door because there's a sense, don't let anyone judge you. You're free. We have religious police who are more concerned about what's in your refrigerator than what's in your heart, especially if there's six of them and one of them is missing. Now, just so that you know, my family, the conviction of our home is that we do not drink. But that is our conviction, and I don't think that should happen necessarily be yours unless the Lord leads you in that direction. The Bible is clear on do not get drunk. That's clear. Stick to God's word. We don't need to add anything. Right? Because when we do, it becomes a fruitless ritual of religion. Hebrews puts it this way. The whole book of Hebrews said the Old Testament is like a little kid who needs a lot of rules because they're just little kids. But when you grow up, they become the values that shape you, and you don't need the rules. It becomes who you are. He says, that's the New Testament. Before it was an Old Testament 
rules to shape an immature person, but the New Testament, it's now written on our heart and we're mature in Christ. He says, that, you know, all of us know that when you have kids, there's rules, but hopefully when they grow up, they move beyond the rules and it becomes something that's from inside of them. Should we judge each other? Yes and no. The Bible says there is room for accountability where we might need to take somebody aside to align them with God's word, but not our opinions and not our extras. Like if there's a Christian that has a, has a drinking problem, then I might have to take them aside and say, you know what, getting drunk is not God's plan for you. But beyond that, I don't need to be taking you aside. Here's uh, number four. We're going to hit these pretty quick as uh, they're getting ready to take down Kid Venture. Um, number four is uh, fake spirits and leaders. I like this one because um, this, is, this is something that I used to study a lot about. And we're talking about the occult and cultic activity. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, someone who think, man, I'm so together. He says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, that's people who are seeking the guidance of other spirits for answers. He says, don't let these people disqualify you or cheat you or take you away as a captive. He says, such a person also goes into great deal about what they've seen. Man, I've had these visions, man. I, I'm sitting, man, I'm just, I was in the, you know, in the heavens and man, I just saw, you know, these spiritual visions. I said, they are puffed up with idle notions. The word there is vain imaginations or arrogance. They just think they are so spiritual. He says, by their unspiritual mind. It's kind of funny. There's a whole bunch of people who think they're so spiritual. And Paul says, but they're not spiritual at all. They are actually fleshly because they are craving and desiring things that make them feel good spiritually. And they're not as spiritual as, as they think. Verse 19, is said, they have lost connection with the head. That's Christ. He says, they're not even connected to Jesus. He says, from whom the whole body, that's the church, is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. He says, man, this church thing, that's a God thing. He says, there are people, they're not connected to Christ and they're not connected to God, but they think they're so spiritual and they talk to spirits and they hear visions and see things. He says, don't be led by these fake spirits and fake leaders. Uh, we see this today by, by people who have an unhealthy interest in the occult. People who dabble in occultic activity, occultic games, uh, things like the horoscope, which leads you away from God's plan for your life and on to man-made spiritual guidance that's not of God. Mediums, talking to spirits, uh, talking to the dead. Deuteronomy 18, if you want to know what God thinks about this, read Deuteronomy 18. Take a look at it. Uh, these are the people that seek signs and wonders, the supernatural and secret knowledge. There are people who always feel like the pastor's never deep enough. I see it all the time. I'm reading, I've, I've, I've done series where I've gone verse by verse by verse through the Bible. And people will take me aside and say, it just feels more like a Bible study. It doesn't feel like you're going deep enough. I'm like, you know, you know, my eyeballs. What? Uh, are you out of your mind? I don't say that. I'm just like, okay. But inside I'm going, my heartbeats. I'm doing everything I can to be a godly person. Because I think you're being... So <laughs> immature. I mean, such a person goes into great deal about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions. 
by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with the church. We see it all the time. Everything is a spirit. There's, these are the kind of people that everywhere you turn around, it's like spirit of lust, a spirit of alcoholism, a spirit of food, you know, a spirit of weight, you know, and the boom, but they're like claiming everything is spirit. Man, I got a spirit of headache. Oh, man. Backache. There's a demon in your back, man. Let's, let's cast that out. That, those are, I don't know if you've ever been around people like that. I grew up in a church where that was pretty normal. I was, they were crazy people. I'm just going to say that. Another way that people do this is by venerating dead people. They don't call it worship, but they call it veneration. Um, basically, it's like looking, praying to saints, praying to Mary. When you pray or seek the face or the knowledge of any spirit other than the Holy Spirit, other than Jesus, who in the Holy Spirit and the Father, they're all one. If you are seeking guidance from a parent, you know, from a brother that's passed on, then you are doing exactly what Paul says to stay away from. You are seeking fake spirits. You're fixed, people who are fixated on near-death experiences. Paul is saying these things actually divert you away from Christ. The issue of the Gnostics in the early church was very real. Gnostic means secret wisdom. And there was this movement after Christ rose again from the dead that all these like Christian groups started rising up all over the early church, all over the ancient church. And, and they didn't have the New Testament. So the writers, the apostles were writing letters to rein them in to Christ again. The gospels were written to kind of nail down the story of Christ because so much was being said about them that wasn't true. And there was this movement called Gnosticism, which basically said that Jesus was only here in spirit. He wasn't in the flesh. He's not really God. He's a man filled with God. All these different ideas and that there was no scripture and that if you go into a trance, you can talk to John, you can talk to Mary, you can talk to all these dead apostles and you can talk to Jesus and all of a sudden they were writing all these books that made little sense. They did not align with God's word. Uh, and They're all over. We still have them. There are hundreds and hundreds of Gnostic letters that didn't make it into the Bible. And the Apostle Paul was addressing that in Colossians when he says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All that secret knowledge you're looking for, it's in Christ. And then he lays out in Colossians 1 how clear Christ is God in the flesh. Cults always like to add stuff. They like to, they like to armor all their faith. They like to, you know, they, it's not the Bible and Jesus is enough. They like to add, you know, you need us. You need us. You need, you need our teachings. You need our extra book. You need our extra Bible studies. You need our extra prophet. Um, if you want to go deeper, then we're the ones. It's arrogance defined. And you know, Christians, we do it too, not just cults. Because we do it because we like to think that we have the answers to everything. We try to answer the unanswerable questions. Christians do it all the time. They, they identify a symbol or a need. And, you know, and, and, you know, I have learned many years ago to just say, you know what? We don't know the answers to all these things. Sometimes God doesn't give us an answer. So let's not speculate because we're adding to God's word and we're possibly getting guidance from a spirit that's not of the Lord. And then there are people on the other side. And they say, well, the Bible doesn't mean that at all. And they explain the entire Bible away. Galatians 1a says, but even if we or an angel, that's a spirit, from heaven, supposedly from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. That means cast him away. 
As we have said before, so I say it again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed or cast away because it's poison. He says whether it's me or a spirit or an angel that's so-called from heaven, it doesn't matter who it is. If it doesn't align with the gospel, cast it away. Here's the last thing, and I want to end with this thought right here, is the last additive is fabricated rules and regulations, man-made legalism. This is what he says in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why is, though, why is it that as though you, uh, you still belong to the world? Do not submit to its rules. He says, people will tell you, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. A religion that is based on do not, 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 do not is an additive to the body of Christ because Jesus says freedom. That doesn't mean freedom to live however you want. It means freedom to be who Christ has called you to be, freedom to love, freedom to care, freedom to serve, and your life is shaped by your motivation to love others, not motivated by your desire to look good in front of others. He says, this is a bondage. He says, why? Why do you act like you still are bound by these rules? These rules, verse 22, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, they're all based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance. They make it look shiny, an appearance with their self-imposed worship. And they have a false idea of what faith looks like. On the outside, they look good. It says their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. That means their sense of, of, of self-affliction. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He says, man, they don't really work anyhow. They don't deliver what they promise. Our lustful actions, the answer to your temptation is not a commitment to not sin. The answer to temptation is not rules and regulations. It's not trying harder to stop something. It's something deeper. You see, our sin is a result of something that's inside of us. And if we attempt to solve the problem on the outside... What's inside will still be producing challenges as it comes out of us. This is how Jesus says it. He says it in uh, um, Luke. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever comes out of you, it's because it's inside of you. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Matthew 12, 35 says, a good man brings things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. See, the Apostle Paul is saying it's not about the rules that change the outside. It's about Jesus who transforms the inside. And as the inside is transformed, the outside follows. But if we start on the outside, if we just try to armor all our life and get all squeaky good looking, and that's how we attempt to pursue God, then we'll be frustrated, we'll be angry because 
will never measure up to God's freedom. Trying to work on the outside instead of addressing the root. You see, it's an inside job. It's something the Holy Spirit does. It comes from a renewed spirit, a renewed mind, and a new heart. Lasting change change comes from the Holy Spirit. And when love and the Holy Spirit is our motivation, our life reflects that. We don't have to. We don't have to work so hard to, to be good. It's a result of the Holy Spirit's motivation of us to love others and to clear the path so that people might see God. This is what it says. I want to end with this verse in Galatians 5, 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the stuff that falls off the tree, if you're rooted right, if you're rooted in Jesus right, the result of a well-rooted tree, the stuff that falls off the tree is love. The roots are right. If what's inside is right, what falls off the tree is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. He says, when this happens, you don't need the rules. When the roots are right, what falls off the tree is beautiful. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. We've surrendered our life. Christ is not me, but you. Mind, body, and spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking each other, uh, provoking and envying each other. He says, man, don't act like you've arrived when you get there. Don't cause other people to wish they were you. Just walk in the Spirit. Let people pick off of your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Stop trying to armor all your life, Paul says. It's just an additive that will poison your root system. You may look good for a while, but eventually you'll crack. The answer to a crack life. Well, that's Jesus. It's all in the roots. So I want to ask you today is maybe you have been running on religion. Maybe you have been living the armor all life. Maybe you've been trying really, really hard to look good. But inside, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're tired, and you're doubting God because that negativity of not being able to achieve what you're desiring is is frustrating you. You're starting to question God. Fine-sounding arguments are making their way into your heart. Doubt is building, and you're like, oh! And Paul says, just simmer down. Get rooted. Jesus has taken your sin and nailed it to the cross. The debt has been canceled. The charge has been removed. Walk in that freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you, God, set us free from sin, not to continue in sin, but God, to walk free from it. But Lord, the goal is not to get sin out. It's to get closer to you. God, when we are rooted in you, when the root system is healthy, then the fruit system is healthy. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would take a moment right now to examine our life. 
take a moment and examine your life right now. Is there, are you an armor all Christian? Are you shiny on the outside, but starting to crack on the inside? Are you shiny on the outside and looking good, but you know that on the inside you're drying up? It's time to get your roots right. Father, thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and talk to Jesus. Tell him, thank you for the cross. God, forgive me. Tell him, God, forgive me of my sin, of trusting in myself instead of trusting in you. God, wash me clean. Thank you for nailing my sin to the cross. Tell him, God, thank you. I was dead, but now I'm alive. God, help me to walk in that freedom so what falls off my tree, what falls off the branches, what people pick from my life, God, that it looks like you, Jesus. I pray, dear God, in Jesus' Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.